Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It is good to be here with you. First time here. We hear about the work here and what you are doing, and, you know, it's good to be here. This morning, I, I have been blessed this morning with the service so far as we looked at the Sunday school lesson. Lamar, it's good to be here with you again, and um, you're teaching that lesson, and, you know, sometimes you do the next right thing. And then he goes on, he starts talking about relationships. And down in uh, verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And I didn't look ahead at the Sunday school lesson until last night about 11 o'clock. I thought, I wonder what all is in the Sunday school lesson this morning, but it's too late then to change gears. And so this morning, we're glad to be here with you. You can turn in your Bibles to James, John, I'm sorry, John 14. Back in Wilkesbury, we have a we have a small grocery store, and uh, so we get to meet a lot of people. That was the goal, to meet people and to witness to people. And uh, as I was at the store the other week, this someone came to me and said, "There's a fellow here who wants to talk to you." And I walked out, and here's a young man there, and uh, he said, "I'd like to I'd like to set up an appointment and talk to you." And I didn't ask him what about. I said, okay, when's it work? And he said, tomorrow. So I said, what time? 10 o'clock. The next day came, 10 o'clock came, and I was back in the warehouse, and someone came back and said, there's someone here to talk to you. And he was there a little bit early. And so we went to the office, and we uh, sat down and talked, and it didn't take us too long to get into the story. And I asked him, I said, can I take some notes while you talk? And he said, yeah, he'd be okay with that. And on the left-hand side of, uh, of our paper, I started with some goals. This young fellow is talking. He's a young Christian man, and uh, he's talking about the past 13 years of his life. And he, on the left-hand side, we wrote his goals. He had good goals, and it looked good, and it, it all sounded good. And he kept on talking, and on the right-hand side of my paper, I labeled it life. And as he talked over his past 13 years, and we went down through them, I kept writing down phrases that I heard him say as he was talking. When he seemed to be all talked out, I asked him if I had the privilege to talk. And uh, as I sat there, here we had this young fellow sitting across the desk, sitting there holding his King James Version Bible, claiming that the closest thing to him in his life is his Bible, closer than his cell phone even. But the whole list, the long list on the right-hand side of the paper is broken relationships. Broken relationships with everybody he meets, everywhere he goes. There was not one part of the story where the relationship wasn't broken. And so uh, we talked a while. We talked about broken relationships and what we as Christians are to have, what, what our relationships are to look like, what Jesus is asking of us, and, uh, and how that affects our eternity. We will not see God. And he said, well, at that point, he said, I will never come to your church, and I'm not sure I'm interested in talking to you again. Okay? He had a little different view on eternal security. And I said to him, I said, I'm glad I've talked to you. And I said, never say never. I said, I want to meet again. And so we wanted to meet again. And I want to invite him to church. But because of that day, I decided to bring a message on relationships. 
And so um, I ask you the question, how can a man who expresses such a godly goal have broken relationships? Have so many broken relationships? Or have we come to the point in our life where we say this is just life? And that relationships break. And that's how it's going to be. You're in James, uh, John, I'm sorry. You're in John 15 there. I want to read the first eight verses here. I have three points this morning. And uh, so I want to, the first one is point number one, a relationship with God. My title this morning is Relationships. A relationship with God. And so here in John 15, it says, I am the true vine, my father is the husband, and every, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and there they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And so here it talks about a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. I am the source of life for you. It comes through me to you. In verse 4, he says, abide in me and I in you. And so I ask you the question when you read that verse, what do you think about? What does that look like to you? As we talk about abiding together, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. And so, you know, at our place, Sue and I abide together because we're married and we live together. And so abiding together at home is where we are. We, uh, we're there for each other. We talk together. We laugh together. We cry together. We rejoice together. We make decisions together because we are together. We abide together. Given that a very practical look, when we abide together, uh, we live together. We do not just visit together. Okay? So, keep that thought. We abide together, not just visit together. Jesus says, abide in me. Sue and I know how much we are together. And we know how we think. And we think almost think like each other. Some areas we don't, okay? But anyway, we all almost do. We can understand each other. And, um, and Jesus says now, he says, abide in me. Be with me. Talk to me. Laugh with me. Cry with me. Rejoice with me. Make decisions with me. And the list could go on. And, uh, and on and on, I'm sure. But there is a difference that I want you to always remember, that between visiting together and abiding together is a big difference. There's no doubt many of us have tried to visit with Jesus and we've failed. And life becomes a mess and life is a shipwreck when that's how we try to live life. And he says that's not going to work. He says you need to abide with me and I with you. Verse 5 here it says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me ye can do nothing. 
I reread that verse because that verse is the main thing that we need to keep our focus on as Christians. It is our connection to Jesus Christ. It is our strength. It's our endurance. It's our identity. We need to be connected. We need to be together uh, to Jesus. We need to be connected very closely to him if we're going to have the strength that we need to go on. You can turn to Jeremiah if you want. I'm going to read a few verses there in uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. As we think about growing and we think about being close to, to Jesus, <clears throat> we have some verses in Jeremiah 17. I want to read 5 through 8. Um, here it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like, a, like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when the good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in the salt land, and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh. And her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful of the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And so here we have people who trust in others in verse 5. People who choose to trust in friends and those they know instead of God. It says, cursed be the man whose trust is in man. Okay, cursed be the man who looks for his strength, his identity, his endurance from those around him only. Verse 6 describes these people as brush growing in the desert. Some of us may have seen desert places already. It's not the most beautiful place. It's nice to see it, but it's not the most beautiful place. You know, if I'm going to take, if I'm going to choose a place to go on vacation with my wife and we want to see some beautiful bushes and flowers and stuff, we're not going to go to the desert. We're going to go to something like Longwood Gardens or something like that. You know, we're going to go where it is a beautiful place. So we get a picture of something that is just kind of scrub brush and rough looking, and it's not good. It says, cursed be the man that's life looks like this, that doesn't look well, isn't doing well. Verse 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Okay, we have a different picture here. We have those who trust in man, now we have those who trust in the Lord. And so we want to choose to put our trust in the Lord. It is the best way. That is where we will get our strength. That's where we'll get our endurance. And that's where we want our, our identity. Verse 8 describes the man who trusts in the Lord. It says here, he will be like a tree planted by the waters. <clears throat> where does your mind go when you think about a tree that's planted by the waters? I know you just have the, uh, the river right close by here. You know, but as I think about some of our farm land settings where the old willow trees grow down in the pasture by the creek. And, you know, there it is, and it's growing big, and it looks fairly good. But you know what? I did have to think about that. Most willow trees look like they're leaning over a little bit, and they're a little tore up from the weather. And you, you know what? Maybe sometimes that's how our relationships look. They're just kind of a little leaning over and a little beat up. And uh, they, don't, they don't endure so well. And so, uh, yes, the willow tree is alive, and it looks fairly good. But don't look real good. Uh, it's growing good, but it's growing sideways. It's leaning over. And so, uh, you know, some time ago, we had some trees in our yard, and we removed those trees, and I wanted to plant some trees. As we think about trees and, 
and what the plant and what a tree looks like and so on. And we were talking, we were visiting with Sue's dad and mom and I said I'd like to plant some oak trees in the yard. And uh, I wanted three of them. So he said, well, I have some. I'll, I'll give them to you. And we went out, and I don't know what you think about if you and you talk about planting a tree. We went, what, what do you think about planting? You know, you're going to go buy a tree. And uh, we go out to the shed, and we walked inside this little greenhouse he had, and uh, there's uh, these flower pots, three little flower pots with three little oak trees in them. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't near as impressed as he was. Uh, I'm looking at them things and going, I just can't quite picture myself planting a sapling for a tree. And uh, he's like, well, <laughs> it's a tree. You asked for an oak tree. It's a tree. And uh, <clears throat> true, it is. So I didn't envision 10 years later either. But I took them trees home. Uh, we loaded them in the car and... We took him home. Out of respect for him, I accepted his gift, and uh, we took those trees home. And I remember looking at them trees, and I remember thinking, boy, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever see them be a real tree, you know? How long does it take for a tree to grow? But I decided to put some effort into this, and we planted them trees, and we cared for them trees, and uh, we cared very carefully for them. And we had a property that was on the river bottom, and the water level was close to the ground surface. So it wasn't too many years, and the roots had reached the water. And them trees just started growing. And uh, we continued to care for those trees because uh, of where we planted them. They, they didn't have to worry about the summer drought. They didn't have to worry about the heat. They always looked good. Their leaves were green. Uh, they didn't mind the snow. Uh, they took the weather well. They were oak trees planted at the right spot. And we moved from that property 10 years later, and the bottom of those trees, at the trunk of those trees in 10 years, were probably 10 to 12 inches across because they were cared for, because they reached a source of energy, because of where they were planted. And uh, Jeremiah is saying here, that we can be like those little oak trees. We can be like that. We will not have to fear hot weather times in life. Those who are planted by the water, the source of life, we will not have to fear dry weather times in life. We still, we can still look the same to the people around us. Even though sometimes we are hurting inside, we can keep on. We will still bring forth fruit for the Lord by witnessing for him to others who need to know him. As I think about this and I think about the young fellow that I talked to, I have, I want to ask you a question. Has Jesus put a young oak tree in your life to care for? Has Jesus put a young oak tree in your life to care for? Have you helped him or her until their own roots have grown enough for them to grow by themselves. Can you focus on the 10-year picture? We were, had them trees for 10 years and we moved from that property and they were doing so well. Can you focus on the 10-year picture when you help someone? 
The caring heart that I'm talking about to you comes from Jesus if you're connected to the vine. It comes from Jesus to you and then through you to those that he puts in your life. We need to keep moving along. Psalms 1, 2 talks about a person who has a relationship with Jesus. It says that this person delights in the law of the Lord. We delight in the law of the Lord. Hopefully we all do. Is it our delight to talk about the commandments of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord, the direction of the Lord regarding his word? Are we thrilled with that? The word of the Lord is a safe place because it's an unchanging place. And so can we find, find it a, a delight to be there? Someone shared with me recently, those who interpret the law of the Lord or the word of the Lord to fit themselves do not delight in the law of the Lord because it changes and is now no longer a safe place. I like that. The other part of that verse here we're going to go on to is the end. It says, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Because of our relationship with God, we think about him a lot. We think about him during the day. Yes, I know our minds are busy with work and we're busy doing this and that and everything else, but there's little moments during the day when he, when he speaks to us and we speak back to him. And during the night when you can't sleep, uh, you know, maybe not, some of you don't have that problem. Some of you, we get a little older, we don't sleep quite as well. You know what? You can be talking to the Lord. You can be thinking about his word and how he's leading and so uh, are we meditating on his word day and night? We want to go to Genesis 12. When we think about relationships with God, I'm going to use Abram for our example here. In Genesis 12, <clears throat> I'm going to read the first seven verses. <clears throat> here we have Abram. And God talks to him and says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as he as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Moriah. And the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. <clears throat> and so here we see God talks with Abram. And uh, in verse 1, God tells, tells him, Abram, he said, it's time to move on. It's time to leave home where you are comfortable. It's time to get on and go on. I will lead you. In verse 2, God tells Abram, he says, I will bless him that, that, uh, that I will bless him. He will take care of him as he moves. Verse 3, he says, I got your back. He said, if somebody curses you, I'll curse him. I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. When we think of relationships, 
If one is talking and the other one is not listening, is that a good relationship? Not really. You know, when we talk to somebody and they're not listening to us, we really do not enjoy that relationship. And so as we think about this relationship here, as, as God is talking to Abram, it, we see here in verse 4 that Abram was listening. And so it is a beautiful picture of a relationship with God. Abram heard him. Now Abram departs, it says, as the Lord had spoken unto him. Then we want to jump down to verse 7. It adds to this picture. We have Abram coming along to the place, and the Lord says, this is where I want you. And now we have Abram stops there where God asked him to. How stressful do you think it was for a 75-year-old man and his wife and his nephew and who uh, I don't know who all else went along and all their stuff to be moving out of the country, going to another country. I'm sure it was, was not the easiest for him. But Abram, at this time now, God says, this is where I want you. And he stops and he builds an altar there unto the Lord and he worships the one who asked him to move out of his country. I picture Abram there by the altar talking to God, pouring out his heart to God, and just, just communing with God, a relationship that we see here, a strong relationship. And, uh, you know, Abram gives us a picture of what it's like to have this relationship with God. But as we know in Bible stories as well, and Lamar talked about this this morning, you know, there are human people as well. And so we want to look on where we have this man of God who's relating so well and following God so well. And he comes down into verse 10 and there's a famine in the land. And Abram moves from the place that God directed him to. And so, when he, with this move, he comes to another location. And in that location, he faced a whole new set of challenges, a whole new set of temptations. A different, it was all different than where he was supposed to be. And through those tests of time, he, he said to Sarah, he said, just tell a lie about yourself and protect me and, and yourself. He said, don't, don't, don't worry about anything else. Just This is what I want you to do. In verse 18 and 19 there in chapter 12, Pharaoh questions Abram. He says, what's going on here? And then he tells Abram, he says, get your wife and get out of here. You know, Abram got redirected by Pharaoh. And uh, so Abram moves on. And so we see here that Abram had made some wrong choices in life as well. He had chosen how to handle the famine according to how he wanted to handle the famine. You know, he chose to move based on self. He chose to provide for himself. He chose not to trust God continually. He did not go back to the altar when he needed to hear from God. But instead, he moved on. And we have two couples now in the Old Testament. We're already in chapter 12 of the Bible, and we have two couples who have broken their relationships with God. You think of Adam and Eve, and what happened there in the garden when they ate of the fruit, and then they, they, uh, they took off, and they ran, and they hid in Genesis 3. And, but now here we come back to Abram and Sarah. We have a different approach. A, Pharaoh says, go back, get out of here, and then Abram Abram and Sarah come back to God instead of running and hiding from God. As we think about our relationships with God, you know, we all fall at times in our Christian walk. We do. Falling is not failure, but refusing to get back up and walking on in your Christian walk is failure. And so as we think about falling and failing, it, you know, 
we don't want to see this happen to ourselves, but it does happen to ourselves. And we have to get back up and we have to move on. Point number two, my relationship with myself. Do I understand myself? Are you willing to stop and think about the core of yourself? What is it like? What is my desire? Again, bouncing off of the Sunday school lesson. We could have talked more about that. What, are, what is the core of me? Okay, Romans 12, we're not going to turn there. Um, the first three verses, as we think about ourselves, you know, we looked at Abram and Sarah. We looked at Adam and Eve just a little bit. And maybe in the last couple minutes, you thought, oh, well, I wouldn't ever be like Adam and Eve. I, I wouldn't do it. If God said, don't do this, I wouldn't do it. I'd listen to God. Okay? Maybe you're thinking, we talk about Abram and Sarah. Maybe you fellows are saying, you know what, I'd never tell my wife to tell a lie to protect me. I wouldn't do it. I just, I, I just wouldn't do it. Maybe you're going to say, you know what, I would never leave the will of the Lord. Never. I wouldn't do that. Okay? And that's because we all like to think of ourselves as good people. We like to think we are, we're above that. Verse 1 I'll just refer to it. Talks about a pure Christian. Mortify the flesh, a person of self-control. Verse 2 talks about being transformed from the old to the new. That's talking about when we became saved. We became a new person. We became filled with the Holy Spirit. We became free of sin and uh, a new life. Verse 3 Paul has some advice for each of us. He said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. You know, he says you got a new life. You're, you have been delivered from sin. You, you're feeling wonderful, but still don't think you're better than someone else. Think of it yourself soberly, not to think more highly of yourself. It is easy for us to be critical of others when they fall. We think about relationships. We can be critical of others. We think we'd never do that. Paul says, you are living free of sin. You have been transformed. You're a new person. You're saved. But you're not the only good person around. Okay? He says, be sober. Think of yourself soberly. Be real with yourself and how you are. Paul wants us to think about the fact that we, as Christians, live every day for Jesus Tempted every day by Satan. That's what, it's, uh, that's what it's about. The Christian walk is living for Jesus, tempted by Satan. Thinking now about Abram, a little more, and what to do when God seems silent. I believe that's how Abram felt when the famine came. In his situation, what was he to do? And we face them situations as well. When God seems silent, in our situation. Psalms 46.10 would say, Be still and know that I am God. At that point, we need to keep our confidence in the fact that God knows our situation. He knows exactly what we're going through and that he cares in times of silence. Be still and know that I am God. Philippians 4.11, Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
Can we be content this morning in our situation? In the situation that you're in, are you content? Am I content with, with every area of my life? Maybe I should ask it a different way. Maybe we'll look at it this way. How many areas in my life do I wish were different than they are? Instead of asking, uh, am I content? Okay, how many areas? How many would you name off? How many areas in your life? You know, maybe you say, I wish I could, and you name it. I wish I had, and you name it. I wish I was like him. I wish I was like her. You know, are we content? I wish, and you just go on. I wish I looked like, okay? Are we content? I just found something interesting recently that we have all these people getting tattoos and all that stuff. 95% of the people in America are not content how they look. That's why they get tattoos. I thought that was interesting. We don't really have that problem, but are we content? Or do we just wish we didn't look like we looked, okay? Uh, this list could go on, we gotta move on. Am I a content person in my life? How am I handling it? Let's go to the next chapter, Genesis 13, one to four. I'm not gonna read it. Here Abram shows us a path back to contentment. Okay, verse one, he leaves Egypt. Okay, the path back. Is there an Egypt in your life? Is there a place or something in your life that you know God did not intend for you to be at or be involved in? That's what happened to Abram. As he understood himself, he, he realized this, and so he leaves Egypt. Step two, Abram goes back to where God led him in the beginning. Go back to that safe place, a place where you know you were in the will of God, a place where you know you were communing with God and he was communing with you. The third step, Abram calls on the name of the Lord. You know, we have three steps, getting out of Egypt, going back to where we know we belong. And the third step, it says, calls on the name of the Lord. Getting away from Egypt is very important. You know, and for us, the next thing we do, we run to a church, a biblical church, and we sit down and we sing and we worship and we pray and it all looks good. But I want to tell you this morning that if you haven't left Egypt, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You'll be looking just like the young man that sat in my office with me, holding his King James Version Bible, sad tears running down his face. His life was a shipwreck. Okay, he didn't leave Egypt. He's trying to live for the Lord. And so we all have those things. Do you understand yourself? Have you left Egypt? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Point number three my relationship with others. These first two relationships affect our third point, our relationship with others. God's plan is for us to socialize. We find, we find encouragement by talking with people and listening to them talk. We feel loved when others listen to us talk and uh, they feel loved uh, when we listen to them. As people talk back and forth to each other about life's experiences, this is what builds relationships. It takes a long time for that little oak tree to grow. It really does. It takes a long time. It takes a long time for these oak trees that we want to see to become big. They're not at the place we live anymore. And I wonder what they look like today. But it takes a long time for an oak tree to become big and beautiful and be strong. Relationships are like this. 
It takes a long time to build beautiful relationships. Someone said to me the other week about this, he said, but it only takes five minutes to cut down that tree. And he said, that's how relationships are, okay? And I'd think about that. It only takes five minutes to destroy a relationship. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. This is telling us that the words are to be carefully spoken. And that carefully spoken words are attractive to those who hear them. And so remember that your words are to be something that makes others want to be near you. It's the message that you're giving them, a very small part of the message would be words. It is believed, though, that the total message that we give to a person when we talk to them, only 7% of the message is our words. The rest is our body language and our tone of voice. And so along with that, we talk about relationships. Sometimes we say, well, I, I love you, Mike. Does it sound good? Okay. Does he feel it? No. Okay. You see, there's more than words. And so as we think about these words fitly being spoken together and we think about building relationships, let's build further than that. Let's, let's have a relationship with God so that we truly love those who are around us, that we love them to, to the core of their heart. We can move on here. And uh, as we think about relationships, verses 5 through 8, here we have uh, Abram faces a stressful time again. And it was between Abram's workers and Lot's workers. And how well we know that in, when there's stress in the workplace or wherever it is, the school, the home, it trickles on up to those who are in charge of the place. And so here we see Abram's relationship with others when he says in verse 8, he says, uh, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. As we think about words fitly spoken, I believe we have two examples here. The first one, Abram says, Let there be no strife, I pray thee. That's words that are fitly spoken. Okay? The second one says, For we be brethren. Now, Abram could have said, Lot, pack up your stuff. You know, I'm done helping you. I've taught you everything, and this is where we ended up. Uh, you know, he took Lot along. Lot's his nephew. What did Abram do for Lot? You know, um, how old does that relationship look? But Abram didn't say that. You know, as I think about these words that are fitly spoken, and I think about relationships, you know what, I, I myself have days that my words are not fitly spoken. And this is to my shame. And I've been challenged by studying into relationships again. You know, and sometimes Sue says to me, would that person want to come to your church? Okay, good question. Good, it's a good thought to keep in your mind. Would that person want, the person you're relating to, would he want to come to your church? Would you, can you invite him and say, I just hope you come, my friend, because we have what I'd like you to have? That's going to depend on your, on your relationships and how well your words fit. You know, I, I was blessed the other day. I have a fellow that does some work for us from a couple hours away. And, uh, and I, I said, you know, we may be eliminating this part of the business. And he said to me, he said, but if you redesign the wheel and you need any help, he said, I, I, you call me. I said, you would come? He said, I would come. I like you. 
Okay? And you know what? We've had some relationships that, that you know, where equipment was broken and it wasn't working and I wanted to go, Rrr. you ever had that feeling? Yeah. This, you know what? I, I just paid a lot of money and this thing ain't working. Okay? And it's his responsibility to get it working. But as we think about relationships, can we make the phone call and say, hey, bud, it's not working. It's Saturday night. It's 10 o'clock. I'll wait here at the store while you drive here, and I'll help you work on it. That's why we have this relationship, you know? And so uh, <clears throat> what do you do to build relationships? How do you care for those around you? We need to cut, bring this to a close. I just want to look just a little bit here yet. Verses 9 to 11, here we see that Abram's relationship with God and his relationship with himself helps maintain a relationship with Lot. We see Abram say, Lot, you choose. Lot, the choice is yours. You choose the land you want, and I'll take the other land. What I see here is the love of God coming out through Abram. That's what I see here. Lot says you choose. I want to tell you, this kind of love always puts others first. This kind of love that Jesus put into us and then comes through us to others always puts others first. This kind of love builds relationships. These kinds of relationships are built out of a strong relationship with God. And as, and as we think about the life of Abram, what I want to say is, he, he was real, he, he was a man of God, he failed, he got back, he fell, he got back up, he walked on, and at the end, you come to James 2.23, and it says, and Abram was called a friend of God. You know what, that's pretty impressive. You know, he wasn't a perfect person. When we think about the core relationship that we need with Jesus Christ, and how we fail him, but God still has it recorded so that we can have hope. With our times that we fall, we can come back to him and he will say, you are still my friend. Let's bow our heads for a word.